0: look to the one who made you stop looking to your physical resources and look to the one who made the resources like that is the crooks of everything we're reading this week
1: hello this is the adventure through the bible podcast my name is matt joining me today we've got uh tracy good morning and we have eric good morning We've got Karen. Hello. Hey, everybody. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Isaiah chapters eighteen through twenty-two. The nature of those chapters—one, uh, a lot of them are very short—but there's um, they're such an overarching concept—not not a concept. There's a, there's just an overarching uh, narrative happening here that it seems—it just seems to relate a lot. To the ways that we are seeing our world today you know we're recording this the day after the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and it was an interesting and i'll get to a point here with this here pretty soon um i was noticing some very interesting trends with with things yesterday well even friday too with um people's the way people are relating to the day, it's usually pretty normal, everybody, you know, posting pictures of the Twin Towers and and a lot of we will not forget and that kind of stuff. But if, I was just noticing some very strange, to me it was strange, trends um, with what was going on. Like Friday night, I happened to see a TV and I, was, I wasn't able to really hear it, but I could see that there was a concert with U2 uh, in a tribute or a remembrance for for September 11th, somehow, and it just seemed very odd to me because the people are cheering; they got their hands up in the air, looking like they're having a raucous good time. Um, you know, With listening an Irish to. Man. Well, yeah, that was kind of odd to me too. I'm thinking, isn't you two from Ireland? You know, but um, <laughs> I don't know if they're if they still live there or what. But so that was just that struck me odd. And then yesterday, not too far from here, there was—I don't know what they were calling it—but it was a Remembrance Day fair, if you want to call it that, with tractor pulls and and food vendors and a beer garden and all these things. And I was just thinking to myself, okay, it's been twenty years. Is this what is this what that day is going to become for us now? Is this going to become like, you know, sort of like? You know, these days, like uh, Memorial Day is a day off and people get together for barbecues. You know, is this what Remembrance Day is going to become for us or whatever we call it now? I don't, I guess it is officially called Remembrance Day. And it was just interesting to me because I was reading something yesterday that was kind of reminding me of this, of the way that Israelites over time just sort of forgot. It seems like they just forgot. Everything about the Exodus over time, you know, we've we've talked about it here on the podcast a lot about how how. Um, how quickly it seemed they forgot what happened, you know, they had they were they were saved from from the angel of death. They walked through the Red Sea. They were fed manna. They drank from a rock. Um they looked at a, at a, a bronze snake so that they wouldn't die from snake bites. And, you know, and the, the generation that came out of Egypt seemed like they had a hard time remembering what had happened. And then the successive generations had an even harder time to remember what had happened, even though I think they had a lot of their own miracles and such. And, uh, and so it just, it just struck me interesting how, I mean, what, it, it, it's been 20 years since September 11th, and that was a big day for the four of us, I know. I mean, that's, I can't hardly believe it's been 20 years already. Yeah. But it started to occur to me that my kids weren't alive when it happened, so it really doesn't have, it doesn't have the impact
2: for them that it had for, for me. And you know, uh, I think that's the key right there, though, because, you know, we had this conversation in our home yesterday is that our our youngest is 13 and and only can relate by what is told to him or what's read yeah or what he sees on TV it doesn't it doesn't hold a like a personal you know deep seated memory for him it's just something that he reads so i don't think he can quite relate and i think mm-hmm. that has a lot to do with it and i think just like you said like memorial day and that kind of thing You know, a lot of people don't have just that personal sense of loss that us four experienced. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it really was
1: when I was when I was thinking about that yesterday and and the way the Israelites just kind of started to blow it off after a while, you know, um, it, it, it just kind of struck home to me how how easy it is for us as humans, how short our memories are, even when we're constantly saying, remember, 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 and I'll never forget. And, and um, just thinking back a day that was for us, I mean, it was probably one of the most fearful days of my life because I remember being at work and hearing about what was going on and then when there's no airplanes flying in the air and and you just don't know what's coming next. And for us, how how uh, it was fairly traumatic for us, even though we were you know a long, long distance away. But but now it's it's like after 20 years, it's sort of turned into a it seems to me, according to what I saw yesterday, it seems to me like it's almost turning into a party and. I mean, an opportunity to display some patriotism and whatnot, which maybe isn't a bad thing, but um, just very interesting how how quickly we fell away from all those things that at the time drew us all together. It made it kind of unified us there for a while and um, made us feel a certain pride for for our country and for our neighbors and for our, you know. And um, so, I mean, I guess where I'm coming with this, though, is relating it to our readings that we've been doing over the last few weeks and talking about Isaiah coming down on Israel and Judah and all of their idolatry and the way they're treating each other. And then this week, the uh, I struggled. I'm going to be honest. I struggled with the readings this week because. um, it, It didn't there didn't seem to be a whole lot there to glean from and be able to talk about for an hour. And maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe you guys have some other things there to talk about, but it seems to me like that, 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 um, position of forgetfulness that they've gotten into. And I don't, I I don't know how many, how many generations it's been since the exodus since then. I'm sure we could dig and kind of find out. It's been quite a while and the people that are alive at this point in our reading and in in the bible times they didn't they didn't have those experiences that their forefathers had had coming out of egypt
0: well i, I think that's the key to it both then and now like if you think about the series of holidays that we have scattered throughout our year like federal holidays there they're mostly set up as, you know, well, they are set up as commemorations of a thing. And not that many of them are lighthearted. Like maybe what? July 4th? Thanksgiving? Yeah. Christmas? other New Year's? Other than that, they're all commemoratives either of something that lends itself to sort of a solemn moment. So if you think about like the president's day, Martin Luther King junior day, like that, like Martin, that's actually a really good example because that is not set up as a commemoration of his assassination. That's set up as a commemoration of his life and work, him, him, the dude, right? Mm -hmm. So similar to president's day, like that's not like those are set up as sort of solemn moments to remember the human and their cause Right. Like if it was set up in the spring around his assassination, then that would be a whole different thing. Well, then you get to Memorial Day. That's definitely solemn. And like that's then you get to Veterans Day. Right. Labor Day. I honestly don't know what Labor Day is based on, but like all of those things like they come, they go. Unless you're in those first generations that experience those those moments, unless you have a veteran in your family who served and was wounded or served and died, then what happens to the importance of those days? Like, what is it that you stop and think about? And if you think about the, I mean, all the way through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, man, how many feasts and holidays and things did we read about? And they were all set up around either points of deliverance, miracles that sustained them, Um, The harvest like some of them were straight up celebrations like the harvest Um, different things like this like all these different feasts and celebrations were commemorative and but like we're talking about how many generations does that take before the reality of that becomes like a passing nod like just a passing nod of maybe respect or maybe just this is what we do to me that's one of the one of the points of value and one of the points of frustration of the bible as a whole when you read the bible as a whole and i like how we're doing it chronologically it gives this sweeping overview and you get to see the actual movement like when you get down into the details of what happens in this generation or that generation and i'm thinking of this like in the time it written it was written as we're studying it and also now When you read, if someone were to write a Bible of our generation and the big moves of God, like what would that look like? What would the summary look like? We read, we, we, I mean, how many times have we commented that we'll, we'll read two or three chapters and then we'll realize that they spanned 400 years? Mm -hmm. How many generations came and went, right? And if someone were to write a book of the Bible about, these years of our lives, what would that look like? Not in a future tense like prophecy, but like in a retro tense like the uh first five books of the Bible and stuff like that. And I just we're pretty small, self absorbed creatures, and I think it's easy for us to get lose sight of the forest for the trees if you if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I So I get a huge amount of value out of reading the Bible chronologically like we are, because it reminds me of the overall plan and the continuing, ongoing movement that does happen because God said, this is what's going to happen. That's a good checkpoint for me, instead of getting lost in the details of my own era and forgetting that there's a bigger thing going on.
2: You know, I think we've said this just even up to a few weeks ago, is that when they are in wholehearted prayer and they're really seeking the Lord, what's usually something that comes out is, you know, don't forget I brought you out of the land of Egypt.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: that I showed you these wonders of what I can do and how I could carry and maintain a people, a vast number of people moving across the desert. And you know, when we when we talked about that, it was, you know, this the trip should have actually only taken eleven days and it took them yeah. four you know, years, you know, and, and people were on the outside watching them, you know, pull circles in the desert and just not getting, you know, the lessons that they needed to get. And a lot of those, a lot of the big time prayers and the supplications to the Lord, when they're in their time of need, it's always, you know, let me not forget being brought out of the land of Egypt and what, what was done for you. And, you know, what was done with a lot of the patriarchs that we had talked about during that time. And I think that's was part of just trying to have them continue to remember that they were a chosen people and that they weren't living up to that expectation or they, you know, at those certain times were, were falling away to the point where they need to be brought back. And I think that's where, you know, we're, what we're looking at, even, even today as us as a people is that, you know, sometimes we do forget and sometimes we do need to be, to be, that to be brought to the forefront again and say, you know what, just don't forget this. Don't get too lax. Don't get jaded or kind of more or less like immune to the, you know, what happened. Mm -hmm. So
1: our our reading this week now, I I think where some of the, the relevance here comes in is that Israel was always intended to be the example. It was intended to be the influence of the area. And our reading this much is very much centered around a lot of things all around Israel and Judah, where where Isaiah's prophecies up to this point have really been kind of proclamations against uh, Israel and Judah. We're we're now seeing that even the outlying areas are being are, are being affected.
0: I actually really liked that aspect of this week's reading because, and I know we started to get into it last week, and I think there's probably a little bit still coming in future weeks, but I really liked that because it was a reminder that, while God had his, you know, chosen people that he was trying to set up to be a city on a hill for the world. He was also continuing to work with all of these other nations. Mm -hmm. And and he worked with them in clear enough ways to call them on it and call them to account if they failed in upholding their end. I like that because I don't want any of us to forget that God has always been the God of the entire world and that every human is his child, no matter what nation they're from. So, did Israel have a special calling? Yes. And yet, he was working with all of the nations surrounding Israel so clearly that he could call them to account for the work that he had tried to do.
1: Yeah, something you said there just kind of triggered a memory of me. And actually, it's not that from that long ago. the The church that well now I guess Tra- only Tracy and I are still there, but that the, that we're um, attending is was looking for a new pastor, and I get, he's actually accepted. He's going to come be our pastor. But he he was giving a sermon that was really intended to remind us all that we all every one of us on the planet earth whether we actively are church members or or atheists uh we are all children of god and we need to treat each other as such and it was it was a good message and i think it's kind of like what you were just saying here karen even these outlying these outlying nations as children of god they should have been they should have been um They should have been holding up their end because God has been working with them. We don't have all the writings and stuff that uh, I'd be curious to know really how God has worked with those other nations over, over the years.
0: Yeah. I hope there's a library of that stuff in heaven.
1: Yeah. But even, even they should have had some kind of responsibility.
4: In case our listeners are wondering if we're making this stuff up, we're not. Um, The reading we did was Isaiah 18 to 22 and it's, Mm -hmm. It's more continuing oracles, and, and uh, Isaiah 18 is basically talking about Cush uh, um, or Nubia and Egypt. And they, in some places, are used interchangeably, and some places are unique to them. Basically, the whole thing is that it, Isaiah is saying for God, you're pretty awesome now. You're pretty sure you're going to be the uh, cat's meow, but it's not going to end up that way. You will be pruned like a vine. Then we get into Isaiah 19, and we see it starts off specifically with an oracle against Egypt. Uh, It says that the Nile is going to dry up. This is an absolute unthinkable thing to the Egyptians. This just isn't—I mean, they worship the Nile. The Nile is a god, and for that to just happen is unbelievable to them. And God says, yeah, I'm going to confound your politics and your wisdom, and I can do that. Isaiah 18— Chapter 19, verses 18 to 25 are a conditional prophecy of what could have been. This is, we get into, we've talked about this every time we talk about prophecy. And it's worth mentioning again, in case you're a first time listener, in case you forgot, is that a lot of these prophecies are conditional. They're if then propositions. If you do this, then this can happen. If you do that, this will happen, both good and bad. Okay. Um, Some places it's not clear. What was what time period and this and that and the other. But we get a really put we 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 get a fine point put on this in Isaiah nineteen twenty four, And that says in that day, Israel, and this is speaking to make it even more complicated. Israel here, I believe, refers to Israel and Judah, the original Israel, like all of them. In that day, Israel will be a third with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing in the midst of the earth This is what Karen was talking about, is that Assyria and Egypt were supposed to be sharing that blessing and being a blessing to others in the middle of the earth. Not not middle earth like Tolkien's kind of thing, but they were supposed to be the center of, um, of blessings for everybody in the rest of the earth. And Israel wasn't the only one. Yeah, Assyria was supposed to share this. Egypt was supposed to share this. And along the way, um, Israel definitely forgot that this was conditional. Israel also forgot that they were not the only ones called to a higher calling. And that's why Isaiah is is spending time talking about all these other nations. Otherwise, it'd just be like, ah, you guys are lost. Who cares? But that's not how God rolls.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was... Um... So I didn't I guess I didn't catch that that was conditional there, but I, it makes sense to me because because um, I don't think we ever really saw how like this, this triumvirate um, influence between Israel and Egypt and Assyria. I, I don't remember anything like that ever happening. So I I, I was like, well, like I said, I was struggling. I was struggling with the reading some because there was there's a lot of historical context of things happening that. I was I was gleaning from the notes in my in my Bible more than so than from the text itself.
2: See, that's where I kind of kind of felt, too. And, you know, but I was kind of trying to relate that back to, you know, especially to what Eric was saying. And when we looked through Egypt and, you know, they did. They thought they were indestructible, indestructible and. And then it just really had to kind of bring them back to reality and say, you know what, this, it's not always going to be like this. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's not even fathomable to the people that are in that high period. And when we look at that, and I was just kind of, you know, reaching back and thinking, you know, is that at some point where we're at in history as far as, you know, the way we felt 20 years ago that, you know what, we're a superpower and we just do not get messed with at all. But that's not always how it remains. Well, yeah.
1: I mean, every great civilization in the world has fallen at some point. I mean, right now, America is like... I don't know if it's the biggest superpower or one of the biggest superpowers, definitely. But, um, you know, if we if we were to think that we're going to sit here and be indestructible, history shows that we're not.
2: You know what? I really think that... that- you know, 20 years ago, and even it kind of reverberates. till today that kind of shook us and that kind of, you know, while there was a moment of of solidarity and coming together to, to, you know, face, face what happened to us. I'm not sure that didn't rattle us and shake us and, and change our, you know, maybe our trajectory into the future. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you hear all kinds of conspiracy
1: theories about what happened back in the day. And so even that's there. We're in such a time of division now. And I mean, that's one that's one of those areas where some people some people would try to claim it was an inside job. And other people, of course, don't. And they remain very patriotic about it. And um, and then all the other divisions that we have now and we're seeing. I I don't know, we're we're seeing we're seeing our nation in a light that I don't know the generations before us did. And I don't I don't exactly know how to rel- relate to that, because, I mean, we you know, you think of like the greatest generation, you know, the World War Two generation, we call them the greatest generation. And uh, of course, a lot of them are gone now. Um, but how would they how would they be relating to this now? And how would they be how would they be seeing? Um, how our superpower has been getting sort of undercut, I guess I would say.
0: But that's exactly what I was getting at, and and not that this, not that this has a whole lot to do with the chapters that we read in Isaiah, but it has to do with the shifts that happen in a nation, mm-hmm. and 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 that this is exactly what I was what I was saying. If someone were to write a book of the Bible, not in a future tense, but in a present or past tense about our uh, century or two that we've lived across here, like World War II generation, like you were talking about, like through now, like, what would their points be? You know, Mm -hmm. would any of us even be a byline? You know, it's just it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. And, yeah, this has been kind of a thoughtful weekend of remembrance and this and that. but but, looking backward, like what it, it, I guess it gives me a little more patience with the Israelites as if human nature isn't enough to give me patience with the Israelites. But <laughs> regardless of that, I still kind of I sometimes find myself being sort of judgmental of them. It's like, come on, three chapters ago, this happened. No, three chapters ago was six generations. Stop. Yeah you know what i mean and you and you and yet here we are and we're watching big shifts happen in our own nation just within the space of a generation or two and how dramatically that shifts our thinking and our priorities and the way we view what should be and what other what we should be doing what others should be doing how they should be doing it where we should spend our money how and what we should worship and prioritize in day-to-day function And to me, it's just fascinating because if we're watching this happen now in lifetime to us, don't you think that this same thing was happening to the Israelites? Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the things that God set up, the feasts of remembrance, the solemn feasts of remembrance, the sacrificial system, the 10 commandments, which included the Sabbath and how it was to be kept, you know, these things that were set up like, how does that become pertinent? And if we can see how, how and why they needed it, does that change our thinking in what we prioritize now, how we respect it, how we treat it, how we keep it at the foreground of our mind? I guess those are kind of the philosophical points that come up to me.
4: Yeah, this that's what he... Isaiah is calling the uh, the northern kingdom israel the ten ten tribes as well as judah to repentance that's happening real time in their world and how do they respond they respond mostly like we do which is i want confirmation i don't want information i want to be told i'm right i don't want to be challenged in my thinking it's a very old problem isaiah ran into it as a prophet um so do uh, so do people today. I think there's an, another really important point in this, and there's a very interesting thing that happens in chapter twenty, where there's there's a sign against Egypt and Cush, and there's um, some prophecy against them again. But then something super odd happens. God asks Isaiah to walk around naked for three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I looked at some commentaries and they said that this um, this naked can either be totally and completely naked or it can mean naked like a laborer where they take off their outer clothing and they're just wearing their uh, loincloth and they're working hard and they took off their stuff because they're getting sweaty and they don't want to get their clothes dirty that it could it could it could be either one and the text doesn't tell us which of those two it is Basically, we get hung up on that. We're like, whoa, the prophet of God walked around naked, whatever that meant. Maybe he was in his underwear. But anyways, it was shocking. It was really shocking. And my point with that is this, is that God was working and is working very hard to get the attention of his people. He really wants them to turn around. He wants them to turn to him. Uh, and that's what a lot of this problem is, is that Egypt, conti- I mean, I'm sorry, Israel continually says, well, we're about to get attacked. And so they turn to Assyria for help or Egypt for help or anybody but God for help. And God is saying, "No, that's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to turn to me. And let me give you like a really stark picture of how this exile is going to look. You are not going to go out in your fine robes. Look at Isaiah. And y- y- look, in a, in a in a community like that, to have what was known as God's prophet walking around in this state of undress, to whatever degree that was, would cause a stir. Right? Mm-hmm. It's undeniable. It would cause a stir. And God did that on purpose to try to reach his people. Now, to the narrative we've been talking about today, what in the world could God do or allow to happen to wake up his people? oh, I don't know. We just had a 9-11 anniversary. What could God possibly do? Wait, we're starting in year two of a worldwide pandemic. Now, I'm not saying God caused these things, but he can use these things to wake people up. Mm-hmm. And that relates directly to Jesus' disciples when they're walking with Jesus in the temple and they they get to looking at the temple and say, Wow, isn't this temple amazing? Jesus, isn't this really cool? What we've done? And he says to them, Yeah, there's a time coming when not a single stone here is going to be left on another, and they are blown away. They're like, What? How could this happen? This is, this is, seems impossible to us. What, that must be the end of the world. When does this happen? Okay, so they ask a calendar question. When does this happen? And Jesus answers with, a he, he uh, well, I'll let you categorize however you want to. He says, don't be deceived, right? They're asking a calendar question, and he says, don't be deceived. That is not a calendar answer because there's a lot of deception happening around these things. We Every time there's a true prophet that shows up, it goes way back. There's a false one that shows up that says, no, 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 no. You don't have to listen to those guys. All the way back to Moses, remember? They had uh, Cora, Dathan, and Abiram said, who's this Moses guy? Why, what makes him so special? You know, we ought to have a hand in this. And Miriam got in on that, like, who's Moses? You know, all the way back, as soon as there's something genuine that's said, God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree. Guess what? A being shows up immediately and says, seriously? Really? Do you have to trust that guy who told you not to eat this? So there is truth and there is falsehood all the way back. And these God is trying to use... Anything at his disposal to get our attention. Now, unfortunately, this is just my um, editorializing here. Is that something that could get our attention instead of turning us to God in humility turns us into rah-rah apple pie, um, wave a flag, let's have a barbecue? It's like, wait a minute, could could we have taken that a different way? But back to Israel and Isaiah, he is trying to reach his people. And God does some shocking things. We haven't gotten to the book of Hosea yet, <laughs> but God is using whatever he can to get his people's attention to say, look, something that you can't even comprehend is going to happen. You know, in next chapter 21, fallen, fallen is Babylon. And I don't want to skip ahead too far without, you know, letting us all a chance to chip in on 20 and so on, but this is an unthinkable thing to them. To Babylon and to the others. And God is saying, Yeah, you need to be watching me, not Egypt, not Cush, not Assyria, none of those places. I'm the one you should be watching. Mm-hmm.
0: And I would take that and I would add to it just because I if this was if this is relevant now, then I believe it probably was then. But also like don't watch other nations, but also don't focus on watching each other. This is a time to have your eyes on God, which is actually all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> but particularly in times of crisis, the we know that the the devil is the father of lies, deceive, destroy, distract, anything, right? And so I I've always thought that particularly in times of crisis, there were Extra things that Satan would do to get us to focus on anything but what we should be focusing on, and I think that includes each other, focusing on each other rather than focusing on God. Whether that's in a nation sense, like the way it's divided up in Isaiah—a chapter about this nation, a chapter about that nation—and and, and uh, if if I'm if I'm Israel, do I sit back and I watch judgment come against Egypt, and I go, yeah, well, I mean. <sighs> it's egypt mm-hmm. right or
3: yeah
0: or, or or on a smaller scale it you know um israel is split you know you've got tribes here and tribes there so there's there's division even within their nation can anybody relate to that here in the year
3: 2021
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that's probably why we keep going back to our current situation and relating it to what we were reading about this week, because it's not that hard for us to see how these judgments can come against all of these nations, even though we saw this promised land, you know, all this time we thought we thought we thought the narrative was all about the promised land. Right. I mean, it kind of has been up to this point. And um, I, I guess i get, it, it's safe to say that we as Americans think of America sort of as a promised land as well um you know full of blessings and and uh, and whatnot and and we've been a uh, at least patriotically speaking we would say that we've been we've been um an influence for good in the world but it seems like other parts of the world might question that but uh, well and also how our our influence has has had its fingers go out all all through the world and you can see how oh say you know we can see like some westernization of like even japan and china and you know even maybe to some degree lesser probably so but uh some of the middle eastern countries and whatnot and so we've seen where we have had an influence but now it seems like maybe some of that influence is starting to break down and and uh Maybe it wasn't, maybe it hasn't been the influence we hoped for. Maybe it wasn't the influence we had, um, had been called for. I don't know.
0: But isn't that the epitome of what we're reading? Yeah. Israel was supposed to be. Okay. So let's, let's just say that that's true. Let's just say then that in the timeline of history, America and the principles that it was founded on had the chance to be a shining example to the more oppressive nations who didn't allow for freedom of thought and freedom of worship and freedom of you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let's just say that America had a chance to be the shining example of that to the nations that the people from all over the world fled from in order to come here to get away from the crap that was going on in their home countries. Let's just say that was true. Isn't that true of what Israel was called to do, mm-hmm. right? And then, did they live up to it? No, they got caught up in their day-to-day worries and their day-to-day quest for power. And somewhere in there, prosperity became corrupted by greed. And well, maybe, maybe, in, maybe for a quicker result, maybe instead of worshiping God and giving allegiance to God, I mean, that doesn't really affect our bottom line the way we want it to. So maybe we could do. Maybe we could do like alliances and intermarriages and then we could integrate your gods into our nation and then everybody can prosper, right? So where's the line between God blesses us and we prosper? Prosperity gospel does have some definite downsides in that it's very appealing to our human nature. Like that's what makes sense to us in a karmic way. Well, if I'm following God's will, if we as a nation are following God's will, then we'll do well, right? Because we're God's children and he'll take care of us, right? And then if that doesn't happen on our timeline, by our understanding and within our ideas of what that means, then what? You know, Abraham and Sarah, you will have a child. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Your descendants will be as, as many as the, what was it, the stars? The sands, yeah. the sea, whatever it was, stars or sands, I can't remember. You know, and then and then, like this many years pass and well, it's not happening. So we need another solution. We need to do this, right? We humans are forever inserting our translation of what these things mean in and getting in the way of what God would do if we actually gave him full reign. And it is the story of humanity. It, well, it is the story of fallen humanity that even even perfect humans created in the likeness of God who got to walk and talk with him in the Garden of Eden could be deceived by the idea that something else was the real truth. Something else was the instant result. So just do this. It's not going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. There's There's so much human nature here. And what I see... To summarize these chapters that we read. and and I think the reason that we're not getting into the details, usually we get down into the meat of what we read, but this this week it seems like we're doing these big like open brushstrokes over the top, and that's because it's basically like you know, dire prophecies against so and so, dire prophecies against so and so, and dire prophecies against so and so. And that's kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. And since we are not in those eras, and in those nations, maybe the, the specifics of what those prophecies entailed are, are not so relevant. But the broad brushstrokes sure are relevant.
3: Yeah.
0: Anybody? Yeah. Revelation? Anybody? You know, there's yeah. some broad brushstrokes of modern, of how the world's going to wind up. You know, I mean, this stuff is super relevant.
1: Yeah. So I where, while I was surprised at some of the, the proclamations made, like, I mean... Uh, Eric's been referring to Cush, and in my in my uh, New King James, it was talking uh, calling it Ethiopia. Yeah, I was, I was, you know, at the time I was like, wow, we haven't even hardly heard about Ethiopia in the Bible up to this point. I mean, it's been mentioned here and there, but we haven't. There's really been not much talked about, you know, with it, and course you know there's been the Assyrians and the Egyptians but those are all over the place but uh, but he was like Ethiopia Kush I was like wow where, where'd where that come from so those that those sort of or at least that one sort of came as a surprise to me but then when we get into uh, chapter 21 this one came as less as a surprise for me but uh, but still interesting concerning the time frame in which I think we're reading about here when Isaiah is making these proclamations because it starts talking about um the fall of babylon and really babylon has barely been on our radar at this point either but with having having read through the bible before and and studied some of this stuff we know that babylon's going to be a big major player coming up here and that it's going to take israel captive and so that was like less surprising to see them included here but there's even there there's not a whole lot there's not a whole lot said about it here, other than that that Babylon is gonna fall, and uh so interesting at this point because it's like well they've they're they're barely even coming into their power at least as far as what we've read, you know verse nine Babylon has fallen has fallen, and all the carved images of her gods he has broken to the ground. this hasn't happened this this isn't this hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen for a while, not for. <laughs> Not for a bit. We
2: know it will be a, a major a major point in Bible history. You know, when I was looking at this, it, it kind of drew me back. And sometimes this is where there's an overlap and a separation between the land of Cush and Kemet and how they reference the Memphis in the Bible and and Egypt and how it was interchangeable. And a lot of times, historically, we forget that Egypt was broken into the upper and the lower divisions. Sometimes they got along, sometimes they didn't, sometimes they split off. And that's kind of where we get the Ethiopian thing in there as well. And I kept going back to that because, as you guys know, I, I really like that stuff. So, um, But that's where we see how it breaks off with Ethiopia because sometimes they were by themselves and sometimes they were joined with, with Egypt. So I think that's where the, that separation kind of comes there. But I was going back to, you know, to 20 and looking how it compared um, Isaiah and him walking around naked to Assyria taking Ethiopia and Egypt away in their nakedness. I don't know if you guys saw that, that too, you know, and I was kind of wondering and I had a big question mark on this as how what the Lord was referring to is, you know, he was. He had Isaiah be naked or, you know, we were saying, okay, was he in his underwear or what have you, you know, but look at the way it describes, you know, Ethiopia being taken away and the shame of being naked. Did, did anybody kind of have that question or was it just me? I was like, okay, so is it, it, was it shameful for Isaiah to bring this against these lands and tell of their downfall or was was the shame just in being so high up in the world and then being led away as captives. I I think
1: at least the way I was taking it was that those those nations had had you know e- Egypt we've already known was like immensely powerful. I mean that was like the world power there for a while. Um Ethiopia we have had mention of the vastness of wealth that they had and I know we've talked, I think there there's been some mention here and there about trade between Ethiopia and Israel and such. So it seemed like to me, like like Eric said, having this prophet walking around naked was would be extremely shocking. Um, it would be very shocking to see those nations fall. I mean, you know, think of think of the way we see Ethiopia now compared to kind of the ways the Bible has been Ha, ha, has sort of described them in the past as being very prosperous and very uh very wealthy you know i grew up as a kid in my mind ethiopia was starving people that we you know we all would send money to you know you remember back in 80s the usa for africa campaign going on and um you know all the celebrities singing songs for them and things like that but um you know it's like now it's like one it seems like one of the poorest nations in the world where you know at least the vision that we have in our head is basically starving children you know and that's been i mean from from the time of the bible and from when these prophecies are made until now that seems like a really long time for a nation to fall and stay down
4: so so uh yeah, so, but that's yeah. the point. Is it like Assyria? Yeah. I mean, who is afraid of Assyria today as a world power? Mm. Not much. You know, Babylon. Mm. Okay, so um Iraq invaded Kuwait. Like that's them flexing. How long did that last? Like, 6 yeah. days. Mm. Like that was hardly a world power event. And I guess that goes to the point is the God is saying you're you're pretty awesome right now, not going to stay that way. Yeah. And wow, here we have it. And yeah. The, the point with all of these, I think the underlying thing is that God is reaching out to people, all people, not just the Israelites. He was at that time trying to reach out to the Egyptians. He was at that time trying to reach out to the Assyrians. We have a king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who writes a chapter in the Bible. And he acknowledges God is supreme. So God has been trying to reach every nation. In pretty much every way he possibly can. And that, I think, is a really important thing that we think about, not just as a a nugget of history, but as a this speaks to God's character. He's trying to reach everyone. And this this rolls forward into our day. We're recording this in, you know, in September, the year 2021, and he's going to be reaching people in 2022. And 2025, if Babylon (laughs) of Revelation hasn't fallen by then, Mm -hmm. um, he is trying to reach people. And this, I guess the reason we belabor this is because history is indeed going to repeat itself. That is the point. Why look at this in Isaiah as if it's relevant? Because it is relevant. We see uh, this this in uh, Isaiah 21, verse 9, Babylon has fallen. We're like, okay, that's just a footnote in history. Not so much. It shows up in Revelation 14:8 and Revelation 18:2. That's the future. You know, that's my understanding of prophecy: is that these things are pointing forward towards events that have not yet happened. And if we want to be in some way prepared for those, we would be wise to study what this means. What was God trying to teach them in Isaiah? And if God was trying to teach them this in in the time of Isaiah and this history, as they say, repeats itself, what can we learn from this? That's why it's relevant. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, there's
1: more. I mean, there's there's proclamation against Edom. That one kind of shocked me because I thought Edom was basically out of the picture at this point Uh, because we haven't heard much about them since we. Oh, gosh, we were talking um, Obadiah. I mean, Obadiah was a—that whole that whole book was a proclamation against Edom, and uh, at one point, I think Edom had kind of stopped being— they had stopped being a thorn, really, in Israel's side at, at some point, but apparently they still have some influence around, and um, there's some proclamation against them. Uh, proclamation against Arabia, which isn't really a nation. It's more of a region. And I guess at one point, Assyria— Listed them as part of their empire, but never really controlled Arabia. Lots of Bedouin tribes in um, their nomadic tribes. But it says within a year, all the glory of Kedar will fail. So there's there's proclamation against them Um, and be for the Lord of the Lord God of Israel has spoken. We get into Isaiah 22 and now, I mean, this makes this makes a little more sense to us in, in our in our. Maybe in our modern way of thinking of the Bible, but uh, finally we get some proclamation against Jerusalem, which we've had lots of proclamations <laughs> against Jerusalem from Isaiah already. But he talks about you've all gone up to the housetops, and I was like, why? Why is that? Why is that significant? And uh, my Bible was saying that the housetops kind of had become a place to go up and worship the pagan gods, where. Uh, you know, God had his temple and everything. And of course, you can, you know, worship and pray to God anywhere. But it's like specifically people's housetops had become places of pagan, of pagan, excuse me, pagan worship. And it talks about it as a city full of noise. And I was kind of taking this uh, like it's like they're they're very active and not... Not really concerned about anything that's going to happen. They're they're just kind of they're all going about their days, and they're they um, it's an active city. There's a lot of lot of trade going on, a lot of activity. People just going about their about their business, as if nothing's as if nothing's really is is really going on. There's an interesting phrase: they're slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle." So I had to look and see what, what are we talking about there? Well, I guess Sennacherib of Assyria had had uh, besieged them, um, but it never they never did really fall to them. But I, you can imagine a city besieged doesn't necessarily mean that it's a city. Even if that doesn't fall, it doesn't mean that there's no, nothing bad that happens. So I mean, we've we've read in the past about how Israel would be um, under siege and they would. Uh, you know, they'd start resorting to cannibalism and not so. Um, a besieging is not is not an easy thing to get through, and there's even some talk about um, Assyrian conscripts from Elam and Kir fighting for them. So uh, specifically, I think it was uh, some archers, arch- archers from Elam. So uh, Assyria was conscripting soldiers, I guess you'd call them from uh, from other nations.
0: There was an oh. interesting section in chapter 22, starting in verse eight. This is kind of a It's a grim look at what was going to happen to them in real life, but it's also a symbolic look at what what people do to themselves. So if I start reading in verse 8, it says, The Lord stripped away the defenses of Judah, and you looked in that day to the weapons in the palace of the forest. You saw that the walls of the city of David were broken through in many places. You stored up water in the lower pool. You counted the buildings in Jerusalem and tore down houses to strengthen the wall. You built a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to the one who made it or have regard for the one who planned it long ago.
1: Y- yeah, they were looking to all the things that they. It was. it's like they were kind of coming down to they're talking about coming down to like the last things they can possibly do to rely on their own strength. Yeah. they're hoping to rely on their armory, which okay. I mean, you know we've we've got a building here in our city that once upon a time was an armory. It's a church now. I know that because I rewired it to be a church. but um, that's a it's an interesting aside. But you know, y- you have these armories and you expect that that's gonna be where you'll be you know you're gonna have some some strength to be able to get uh, to to be able to find some power. These guys are building. they're for crying out loud, they're they're creating a moat. they're're they they're they're tearing down their own houses. Building, building up like a secondary wall and then creating a moat around the city in hopes that that's going to slow down things coming in. So it's everything they can possibly do, like their last-ditch efforts of relying on their own strengths instead of turning to God.
0: Uh, this, <laughs> this weekend in church, so the, lo- the local church has this this thing, you know, it's just a moment of praise, like anybody have a praise for this week. And people will just like sort of stand out and stand up and holler them out, like, "Hey, you know this happened or that happened or whatever." So this one lady gets up to talk, and she's like, "Yeah, man, I, I was facing this situation, and I had tried everything. I had just tried everything, and finally, I prayed." You know, everybody starts laughing, it,
3: mm-hmm. but it's like
0: it's like an embarrassed chuckle of recognition. We
3: know, you know
0: like we just <laughs> we we do that, like yeah. we do that. Like, why wasn't prayer the? first? first response, you know, and I get like, we're created with initiative, we're created with intelligence, with physical strength, with creativity, we're created with all of these things, and we're supposed to use them. And so it gets kind of tricky sometimes, like, when do you use them? And when do you just turn to God and go, Dad, I need help, <laughs> right? It's it's hard to tell sometimes.
3: Mm-hmm. But basically,
0: what God is saying to these nations is you have done everything in your power, that being like the summary sentence right there, instead of looking to me. And if you go down further, it says, beware, this is in verse 17, beware, the Lord is about to take a firm hold of you and hurl you away, you mighty man. He will roll you up tightly like a ball and throw you into a large country and there you will die. And there the chariots you were so proud of will become a disgrace to your master's house. Et cetera, et cetera, Like, mm-hmm. stop looking to yourselves. Look to the one who made you. Stop looking to your physical resources and look to the one who made the resources. Like, that is the crux of everything we're reading this week.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there was an interesting there in 22, verse 14. And then this is after all the things they've done. You've, you've done everything you could except for turn to me, everything you could do. And because of this, it says, there's gonna be no atonement for your sin. How is that exactly how it said it? It said, uh, surely for this iniquity, there will be no atonement for you, even to your death. Mm -hmm. This, I think this is showing an example of the unpardonable sin. There's, there's there's sometimes people question, what is the unpardonable sin? Well, here it would appear the unpardonable sin is simply not turning to God. Because if you don't turn to God and you don't ask him to help, there's really not much he can do. I mean, he, he could force himself, but that's just not the way he works.
4: Yeah. To that point is that what Matt just said comes right after this phrase we've heard before. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is cited by, by Paul in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty That is what the godless people say. They're like, well, I guess there's really nothing else to do here. It's going to end badly, so we might as well party. Yeah, These people, to Matt's point here, have given up. They don't even turn to God at all. They're like, well, I guess the only thing to do is just throw a party, eat, drink, you know, let's just get wild because nothing else we can do because they have rejected God right? They have said, well, there's nothing else we can do. God's been asking them the whole time, well, you could turn to me. You could do what I asked you to do. You could repent. That
3: you
0: sounds could... complicated.
4: <laughs> right? It's what, it would, what it requires is it requires humility. It requires saying, you know what, I was wrong. And boy, let me tell you, we as humans do not like to do that in any context. And that is why God has said this to Matt's point, again, the unpardonable isn't that God won't pardon them. It's because they have refused to seek it. And God says, well, okay, I guess we're all done here because you've made up your mind. And there's, I've used every tool in the toolbox and you just won't, you refuse to be fixed, which goes to another point that I know Matt's talked a lot about. They have free will. They get to choose to leave God. He does not force them into a position where they have to um, accept him is like, well, okay. If you really want to leave the spaceship without a spacesuit, okay. <laughs> just telling you, it's gonna go super bad. But um, okay, I'll let you go. And here they go. Yeah, and that's. Uh, I guess that's really
1: where it all has been boiling down to. Everything we've been reading up to this point of you know Israel's rise and fall, and when they would rely on God, it would be it would go. It would go well. And when they wouldn't rely on God, it would go bad. And it's gotten to the point or is getting to the point for sure where they just keep withdrawing from God more and more and more. And apparently not just the kings, um, but the people as well. And um, we're seeing this week how it's really drawing everybody around them down. Where they should have been there lifting up God and lifting up his principles and expressing them to the countries around them. Uh, Instead, they've found themselves in a constant state of trying to defend themselves.
0: So this text that we read in chapter 21, um, the second half of verse 9, this Babylon has fallen, has fallen. The whole verse says this, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. All the images of its gods lie shattered on the ground. All right? So I would highly recommend to our listeners, all six of them, that (laughs) sometime this week you take that verse, like if you consider that a summary verse, the thesis statement, and then go to Revelation and read all of chapter 18, because the symbolic Babylon at the end of the world has that same thing that is said about them. Babylon the Great is fallen, has fallen, right? And then it goes into the details of what that will look like. And so the, the conversation we've been having this whole time is like, sometimes this is literal, sometimes this is symbolic. We can take what we're seeing in the contemporary people of Ye olden days and we can easily extrapolate that to us now. And if you take Revelation... You can look ahead into the very last moments of Earth's history and you can see how it's gonna play out. And there's these references to back and forth. And I think this is a particularly valuable one. Like here it says all the images of its gods lie shattered on the ground. If you read Babylon or if you read Revelation chapter 18, you'll see what those gods are and mm-hmm. how God goes through and meticulously destroys them so that there's nothing left for the symbolic earthly babylon of the end days to even worship or to have anyone admire her or be or say like I want to be part of that.
1: Mhm. Well, I think we have had some we've been we've been able to extrapolate some really good lessons from what I think was a difficult reading. Because, and like Eric said, I mean, it's all been very sweeping, very broad strokes, maybe oh, Eric or Karen or both, but um, very much uh, just like this overarching doom for like these individual other nations that we haven't really seen as being central in, uh, in the
0: story. They, they aren't, but they were central to their own story. Yeah, And I yeah. love knowing that there was that story, and I love knowing that God treated them that way. Like, they were central to their own story, and he tried to reach them directly and indirectly, the same as he's done for every other nation on earth and every other human on earth. I love that.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I guess it's a good lesson to us as well, remembering that God's not reaching out to only us. You know, it's a good lesson for us. For for us as Christians, I guess I could I could you know point that to us as Americans. Of course, not all of our listeners are, are, are from here. but so but even you know if you are listening from another country, I guess this is pointed, pointing out that we all we all, like Karen said, have our own story and God is working in each of us. And so we need to listen. We need to be we need to be paying attention. I like I said I would be very interested to know how you know God's how God was working with these surrounding nations beyond just having Israel be right there in the middle of all of them.
0: So let me just let me take this up Mm -hmm. a notch. What if we simplified it down to this? What if if we removed ourselves? and our rather self-absorbed leanings and justifications out of the equation. Mm -hmm. What if we were to say that God's efforts to woo every single one of us as an individual, a community, a church group, a family, a state, a region, a nation, an area of the world, what if those things that God does to attempt to woo us and call us to his cause were actually obvious? Like we read these old things and, the, the, and the, the nations that we do know about, Israel, Judah, right? The things that God did to try to catch their attention seem so obvious. And yeah. he says to them repeatedly, you keep whoring after other gods. What if we were to assume that the things that God has done to try to call us are that obvious? If we could get our head up and our nose out of being buried in our own business. You know what I mean?
3: Mm.
0: Like, can we look at the people around us, the nations around us, say the people we disagree with morally or ethically, can we look at them and say, well, obviously God's working with you. Look what he's tried to do. Right. Great. Can we do that for ourselves? Yeah. It's probably just I, as obvious.
2: I think if that's the million-dollar question right there. Can we, or can you as— can you r- remove that obstacle from you first and look towards god and get over self when that tends to be the the hardest obstacle and we see that through throughout all of our readings you know how far we've come is that self self destroys yeah you know because i think it takes your eyes off god and then you know what then it just opens you up to a whole bunch of different things that ultimately lead to your destruction
1: yeah uh you're you're right self self is the biggest obstacle
0: oh look something shiny right (laughs) yeah and you know satan knows like we're small little creatures our attention spans are like 0.3 seconds long like ask anybody who's ever you know looked at the back end of a website if a if a website takes less than three seconds to load people are gone Mm -hmm. they're gone like you the, the 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 modern attention span, you know, and I'm sure this has taken different forms in different phases of, of of society over the over the centuries. But right now, that's where we're at. We've got less than three seconds attention span. If a website doesn't load, and that's the thing that we wanted, eh-eh. it doesn't matter that we wanted it. We're gone. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for the things that we know we should do? Yeah. Good heavens. How easily distracted are we? And if we were called to the carpet to stand in front of God and he said, well, no, I what if there was a gospel of Karen? Right. In Mm -hmm. which every time that God tried to reach me was laid out. How embarrassing would that be to have it all laid out? Like we talked earlier about how when we read back through the Bible, three chapters can cover hundreds of years and multiple generations. What if my life was summarized in a, in a gospel of Karen, in which all of God's efforts to call me and to woo me and to keep my attention were laid out right before my eyes in a sweeping trend? How embarrassing would it be for me to stand there and go, yeah, no, I, but there was this book. There was this movie. There was this thing on the internet. There was this favorite sin of mine right like how embarrassing would that be for me to have to stand there and face like the God of the world and say no, I chose these tiny things over you repeatedly until that became the focal point of my life yeah right that's that's horrible but that's what we're reading nation. Mm-hmm nation after nation and all of these nations that we're reading about in summary are made up of individuals and god has been god to each of those people through history the same way that he is god to us now
3: yeah yeah
1: i guess that's that's the lesson to that's the lesson to glean here we all look we all look too much to the little things we we don't you know Our reading is the big picture. People weren't looking at the big picture. We don't look at the big picture. We look at our little right now, what's in front of me, what's over to the right here that keeps distracting me, you know. Uh, and uh, Don't be
0: politically jaded, Matt. To some people, it's what's over here on the left distracting me.
1: Ah, yes.
3: (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Well, unless you guys have any other, <clears throat> unless you guys have any other final thoughts on the reading, I think we have uh, kind of come to the end of this episode. Uh, next week, I'm going to say at least for starters, we're going to look at Isaiah 23 through 27. It looks to me right off the bat, like it's more big sweeping oh. things of other nations. And if, uh, I guess if, if we decide maybe midweek that we can do a little more, then we might go a little further than that. But for right now, we're gonna say we're gonna read Isaiah 23 through 27. And while you are waiting for that, remember you can reach us attb podcast at theadventure.org with any questions or comments. You can find us on Facebook. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and make sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors so that we can reach them as well as you. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.